How's it going, everyone? Security Unfiltered, Episode 9. Here we are. It's been a long week. Yes, we know we're a day behind on recording this, but look, we need to let loose, all right? I needed to go and drink with some friends yesterday. It was it was a need, not a want. <laughs> hey, I'll drink with friends every day if I could. <laughs> you That might be a problem. <laughs> hey, it's only a problem if we ain't having fun. But uh, <laughs> hey, if we all having fun, then we do what we got to do, you know. But yeah. yeah, long week, long week, definitely. Yeah, the whole month of March is just insane for me. It's crazy. I haven't even been keeping up my blog, which I need to. I need to fix. I'm going to post uh, some posts tomorrow on the blog. I mean, I got to. Yeah, I have a whole bunch of drafts, right? I'm just creating titles and drafts right now. And I'm like, I'll find some time to really go ahead and actually, you know, author the blogs. But at least I want to get those thoughts down and get some drafts going. Yeah, well, your background is creative writing. Like, you write for fun. Like, this well, is a fun activity for you. It, it It is. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, you want to figure out what the proper tone is when you want to mm-hmm. write a particular article. And sometimes it's like, well, do I want to make it where it's more, you know, fun or do I actually want to make it where it's more like academic slash, um, you know, like professional, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's where it's trying to find a balance. Right. Because if I'm just writing for fun and I can throw my own little, you know, my uh my way of uh writing into it that's that's one thing but i want to make sure i hit that right tone so that the people can get the most out of it and that's where the blog thing kind of comes into play cuz i think i need to get more into blogging where it's just hey here's what's been up here's what i'm doing here's what i'm seeing this is going on versus those uh particular articles that i'm thinking about doing that are focused on specific functional security things where it's kind of like I want people to be able to come to this article and learn something, right? And take it back to work. So, yeah, I've got a blog more where it's just like, hey, we got 25 inches of snow yesterday, right? That's crazy, right? That one, I ain't got no problem writing an article about that. But it's the ones where it's kind of like, I don't want nobody coming up in here talking about, I, you know, I, I set yeah. them up and they, they took down the network. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's difficult to, like, have a blog be – you know, extremely useful and educational and relevant and not be too long. It's like, you really gotta, you really gotta pace it correctly and you really got to put some thought into it, you know, kind of before you, before you go down that path. Like with all of mine, I at least have an outline. I I can't really write without an outline I'm, I'm finding. Yeah. Yeah, outline helps um, generally with all my writing. I try to find out what the end is, and then that mm-hmm. way it kind of guides me. So I always can kind of have that that North Star to say that, hey, or here's how I want to end it. So I can kind of then have the freedom to, to you know, take turns and do all the loop-de-loops I need to do. But I know that this is where I need to get back. So that kind of helps for me. And, you know, uh, you know, it's it's been a while since I've been able to keep that blog going, but Definitely want to keep that up. And, and it kind of actually makes sense uh, for kind of the topic that we're going to talk about today, uh, which is, you know, what do security SOC analysts do? I'm kind of talking about that entry level position and, and what organizations are looking for. And that that's like the tip, the stereotypical 
blog right. posts, right? And it's kind of like, well, how do you want to write that? Do you want to write it where it's more so about, you know, have the right attitude, have the right personality? Here's what the team is going to need you to do. Or is it more so about get an A plus, get a SEC plus, get a CH, mm. you know, here's the skills you need, et cetera. So it's finding that blend. But I, at least from the podcast perspective, we can just dive right in and talk about what we think SOC analysts are, you know, capable of doing for organizations and where they bring value. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think that they're, they're really valuable. I mean, they're, they're the guys with the eyes on the glass, right. That are interpreting the different logs and alerts and, you know, calling bullshit on some alerts and, you know, uh, doing like fact finding on others and, and making sure that they're genuine alerts and tuning the tools properly. You know, um, it's not easy for sure. Uh, I haven't been a SOC analyst, uh, but, you know, I, I know a lot of them. I've worked at companies that have, you know, full socks built out and there's nothing but like 25 guys in there 24 seven every day of the week that, you know, are just monitoring stuff. Like I, I had, I, at, at one of the companies, uh, I had like, maybe just started. It was like my first 30 days in and we had a, we had our own sock and, uh, I had, I had some extension in Chrome that I used like once during my masters, you know, it was like Sputnik or something like that Yeah, where it like, you know, it'll scan a network for you automatically and all this other stuff. Right. And so it was very useful for what I was using it on for the project. And I, I had it, like it installed it automatically when I downloaded Chrome, you know, at this company <laughs> and, and they immediately like, they, they didn't even ping me. They walked right over to me and they were like, Hey, it looks like you're scanning our network. And I'm like, why would I be doing that? Like you can look at my computer, like take my, take my computer, like just take it, you know? And he's like, He's like, I'm not sure if you're actually doing it or if something on your computer is doing it for you. And I was like, man, you can wipe this shit. Like, just take it, man. (laughs) And he like went back and looked for the process and did his research. And like five minutes later, he comes back. He goes, it's a Google Chrome extension called this. Can you check if you have that? And I looked and I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Because I just like blew up their sock with someone internally scanning the entire network, like wow. mapping it. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's, you know, that happens more often than uh, most people think when they first, right. and, and it's not necessarily security people, um, but um, a, uh, a colleague of mine um, where I'm at now, when we first started his first day, there were some issues with USBs they were using on a, on a, on a service desk team, et cetera. And, his very first day, he went around to, you know, I guess, put some software on the end user's machine. And I guess they got it off a torrent site. I don't know. Like, it's like it has some binaries and some hashing that kind of made it pop up. And I mean, the rush was on and it was like he like he's like, I've been here less than an hour. What's going on? And the rush was there. It's like, hey, man, where's that USB you had? It looks like there's some there's some, you know. But you got all kinds of stuff on there. You, you you got movies, 
got software? <laughs> like, what the hell? And yeah. And so you have to make sure that you, you know, don't plug things into machines that actually actively scan, uh, especially when you're going into a new place. You want to you don't want to <laughs> set that as your first uh, yeah. interaction with the security team. <laughs> it was like my first 30 days. Like I had to introduce myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so this guy is doing his own internal pen test on our environment. It didn't tell anybody. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you said, eyes on a, on a the glass, they're very important. Um, a little bit of my work was um, originally as that sock, you know, reviewer of, of alerts, had to look into the SIM, had to make sure those alerts were not false positives. And they don't teach you that, right? When you're preparing mm-hmm. for getting into security, you know, the exams don't necessarily go over false positive rates. And and one of the things that uh, are on some of the exams, like the um, false positive rate versus the um, the, uh, the detection and how often it actually happens when you're actually configuring and tuning up your your scanning and, and things like that. It's not necessarily stuff that is put in the security plus and that entry level security examinations. That stuff is more so from what I've seen in the CISSP guides and things like that. But that's very important for a SOC person is making sure that the organization has adequate and 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 efficient logging uh, so that when you see logs pop up or you see a, alerts pop up into your dashboards, that there are alerts that you can reasonably know, you know, they're being triggered because there's some legitimate activity taking place. And that's that's probably one of the first main value adds that a SOC analyst will provide for a team, especially a team in which you're just looking at alerts all day is, is making sure that what you're looking at isn't, you know, triggering false activity. Yeah. I think one skill set that is typically overlooked with SOC analysts is people skills, actually. Like it's overlooked a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes some companies don't even like, look into that when they're interviewing these people. Cause I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're interfacing with more users on a daily basis than, than most security. So you need to, you know, be able to actually, you know, talk, (laughs) talk to them and, and, you know, understand where they're coming from and, uh, you know, to resolve issues rather than just create more issues. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there's always like uh, a typical like stigma almost where security is then thought of as the sock because that's like a physical location or a physical thing that other people outside of security can picture and generalize in their head. And so to them, you know, interfacing with the sock is basically interfacing with the whole security team and now you have a bad rep in the organization and it just builds from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You. De- I mean, it's been one of those things where the soft skills just ha- has become more and, and more important over the last few years. You know, there was a point where, you know, if you just had that, that technical power, that technical bandwidth, you know, you had them CPU cycles where you were just, you know, uh, really technically inclined individual, then, Sure, there was always a spot for you, right? Either you go mm-hmm. back and you can work, you know, in a closet or <laughs> in the basement. You know, th- throw those guys in the they basement. Put you where someone can never see you. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and and you can do what you do. You know, hell, you got one uh, monitor with your dashboard. You got another monitor with your wild raid. Right. And, and, and you would just do what you have to do. But yeah, security more so than anything now is becoming one of those uh, departments that actually has to have that communication. You got to talk to HR, right? When there's a potential issue with a person that works in your company who did something right or wrong, um, mm. you have to talk to clients sometimes when they want to know how a particular application or service works. Um, you have to talk to auditors when they come in and want to see attestations. You have to talk to your management when they want to figure out, well, why this didn't get brought up to the, you know, to their visibility level quicker or or sooner. So there's a lot of uh, opportunities to have the dialogue and having those soft skills to be able to kind of, I guess, you know, give people the lowdown and let them know that this is how things are. Um, and, and put it in the proper context, because one thing that people will not appreciate is, is if the sky is falling all the time. And a lot right. of times when you're new to security, it's hard to know what is an actual emergency, what constitutes right. an emergency, uh, what constitutes having to escalate this to, you know, your, your your senior engineer or your architect, et cetera. And I think that that's where, you know, your management and some of your team leads can kind of give you that that playbook, that run book, if they're actually available uh, to kind of say, hey, when you see these kind of activities, you know, just come to me. Um, we can go through them and I'll tell you why this is something we would escalate versus not. But you still need to have some kind of, you know, communication chops when it comes to being able to talk to other people. Because a lot of times when you come around with security is involved, that stress level of any engagement increases, just period. That's just what it is. A lot of times. Doubles. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I remember walking to conference rooms. It'll be four or five of us and we'll be walking past an area and they'll, be, they'll look up like, Oh, what happened? Because yeah. it's security, right. Like, Hey, yeah. we just go into a conference room, get some ginger ale and some Cokes and drink some, you know, some, some, soda, get some snacks, man. Yeah. Get some, we just chilling. Like ain't nothing happened, but yeah, they'll, they'll think that something happened a lot of times if, you don't have that, I guess, that interaction with them to know that, you know, it's just like, the, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, we people, too. <laughs> yeah, we people, too. <laughs> we go go to this conference room and laugh and joke and, you know, hopefully they'll bring in some sandwiches or something. Because uh, that free lunch is, you know, that free lunch helps. It's valuable, man. <laughs> it helps with the focus and the concentration, that free right. lunch, you know. Right. Man. So what. What certs have you seen as a sock analyst uh, that you think help you the most? So, you know, I mean, like we can go with the typical ones, right? Like uh, security plus network plus all that sort of stuff. That's really kind of almost like IT basics, you know? Um, but do you think the CEH helps more than others? Do you think that, you know, maybe the pen test plus helps a little bit more or the, was it the CISA, the CompTIA one? It's CYSA or something like that. You know what? What have you seen, uh, both from like your own, you know, professional experience and then your management experience? Well, generally, there isn't really and hasn't been a really adequate certification. I don't think out there to kind of just help you know define that this is a SOC type of certification or, or a SOC analyst type of role. And and what do you break that down to, right? Because some 
certain organizations have different SOC responsibilities. So you might be in an organization where you're looking at IDS, IPS on your SOC. Um, you may look at things um, related to vulnerability management. So you're dealing with you know vulnerability management tools like Nessus or Rapid7, et cetera. So it kind of depends, but I think that uh, Cisco kind of created the cyber ops one now that mm. is supposed to be, you know, kind of in that space where you can say this should help from the perspective of a of an analyst who needs to look at things like network traffic, yeah, and 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 look at logs or have logs go into a sim and analyze that. So I think that they're looking into filling that space. I, I do think the CEH that knowledge set will be helpful. Um, you still want to know the basics, but I think that having a more network um, based skill set um, will really help when you're a SOC analyst, right? Because almost all of the logs that you're looking at are tied into network activity or could be tied to network activity. It's not like a SOC analyst is sitting there with the application development team a lot of times, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. So yeah, I would just say things that kind of give you a, a, a understanding of, you know, uh, the network, IDS, IPS, firewall, SIM, uh, things that like like that. But often it's just going to be um, a lot of uh, experience on a on the first job to get that kind of training. It's like uh, like there's there's two kind of areas, I think, with it experience wise or certs wise. Right. Like a lot of the times the sock openings are looking for very specific tool sets for your experience, like log rhythms, Splunk, you know, carbon black, all these different kind of tools, CrowdStrike. Um, and I think we should also note that like a SOC analyst isn't like a entry level IT role. It's an entry level security role and security is not entry level in IT. So really, if you want to get into security and you're trying to just jump straight from no IT experience into security, I mean, it's going to be a tough time. And to be quite honest, the the companies that would offer you that role, you probably shouldn't be taking that role. (laughs) Uh, Now, probably shouldn't take it, but take it. Because a lot of times, you know, getting that first position and getting that title, getting that role, that's going to kind of be, you know. The title matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you want that snowball. Right. So once you're in it, you're in it. Right. So then it's much easier to get that second security position. Um, But a lot of organizations just don't know what to do when it comes to security. Right. It comes down from up top. It comes down from senior leadership. It comes down from the state, uh, from the uh, shareholders, uh, the board. It comes down from auditors. A lot of times, a lot of times uh, organizations isn't just sitting back and saying, well, we got, you know, one million dollars of net profit and I don't know what to do with it. And uh, maybe they would go ahead and create a, a security team that's, you know, going to fumble around and get in our way half the time. No, that's not that's not usually how it, it happens. Usually it's it's an edict. Usually it's because of a reason. Mm-hmm. So that organization is often not going to have a really mature strategy for what their security team needs to do. They're just going to have a whole bunch of problems and say, okay, let's set up a, a program. And then once you get that program up and running, then, you know, you got to find somebody that can actually determine what the requirements are. Cause all they know is, is that we need a program. So now you got to hire a senior level person in security to say, all right, 
I'll talk to everybody and figure out what we actually need to accomplish from an attestation standpoint, but then also from the threat modeling standpoint, because you don't even know who your attackers are or who your threats are. You know, the organization may be in a specific sector or a market where there are specific, you know, threat actors out there that are just waiting, right? So you got script kitties, you have financial, uh, um, you know, uh, people with a financial incentive, you have, uh, you know, people that's doing things for social issues. So you have to figure out who your threats are first and foremost, if you have an opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think with that kind of comes into play, like MSSPs providing that SOC role or building out your own SOC. And you know what? A, a lot of the times organizations think that building out their own SOC will cost them a whole lot more than actually going with the MSSP because the MSSP is going to give you that number. It's going to be like, you know what? On average, this is what companies uh, experience with building out their SOC. This is the cost of it. And then if you go with us, it's a quarter of that price. Well, it's a quarter of the price and you are very likely getting a quarter of the quality. As well. I mean, just being honest, I mean, I'm not calling anyone out, but I have never experienced, a, I've never had a good experience with an MSSP. Not one, not, not a single one. And I'm not calling anyone out, but like, I mean, that's just how it is. Like I, I as a, as a analyst or an engineer, I, I have actually had to spend more time talking to this MSSP to get things like ironed out, like stupid alerts that they shouldn't be alerting on that we've talked about before. <laughs> and they're still doing it. And it's like, you're taking time away from us over here when you're supposed to be optimizing our time, you know? And I think companies, companies like all, just always go down this route, right? They go the MSSP route and then they realize, oh, wait a minute. It's not quite worth going down this MSSP route all the time. And so then they start exploring building out their own sock. And then management gets involved and they don't really want to spend the money. And so they try and find a better MSSP. <laughs> it's like it's the whole it's like a 10 year dance of this is what you're doing for the next like 10 years until someone comes in and is just like, just build it. It doesn't matter. Just get it done. <laughs> You know what that reeks of? That reeks of nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to do the work, right? Nobody really wants to do it. It's just, it's something that organizations need and there's a big market for it. And now all of these MSSPs are popping up because they see that, well, this is a vertical and we can generate some revenue from it. It's a, There's a new one every year. Every yeah. year there's a new MSSP on the market that's like, oh, we're better because we do we do X or, you know, we're better because we provide more coverage or like what? Like I've heard it all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, come on. Yeah, they're, they're going to sell it. And, and so here's the problem. The problem is, is that internally from SOC, you don't get that sale usually. And in the business world is all about selling, really. Right. It's about selling services, selling products, generating something, some kind of excitement or momentum. And from an internal standpoint, you just don't get that because a lot of times uh, MSSP will say, hey, we could do this with three people. I mean, we're going to look, we're going to be amazing. Right. We could. And internally, you got three people. You sit here like, hey, 
I'm dying over here. Please get us more people. Get us more people. Get us better tools. Uh, get the other departments to listen to us. Can we get some support? It's well, a I, lot. I, yeah. I think a part of it, right, is MSSPs are not scalable for high quality, right? Like when you have your own internal SOC, that is the highest possible quality that you are going to get. And the reason why I say that is because you are hiring people to do that job only for your company, only for your company. It doesn't matter what happens at company X. It doesn't matter because they work at your company. They're only worried about yours. With MSSPs, like, I don't care what they tell me. Like, oh, yeah, you will have a dedicated, you know, guy and this and that. It's like, well, he ain't on my payroll. You could tell him to do whatever. You could tell him to go, you know, jump on this call with another customer. You could, you know, you're the one managing his time. We are not. There's there's no way that you can guarantee a dedicated resource at any level. And so, I mean, I think I think that's a huge thing. They can't, like... I just don't see an any MSSP being able to scale to high quality. Like yeah. Something has to give. I, yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Um, I mean, you're not motivated as much when you know it's not your, it's, it doesn't impact you long-term, right? If you're right. a contractor or a consultant or anybody, and of course, you know, if you actually have the mindset of presenting quality and providing quality, then you're going to be self-motivated to do so. However, if you're a, a SOC analyst and you have five accounts and you have eyes and hands on keyboard and on the monitor, your eyes on a monitor for five different uh, particular, particular companies and you're just rotating through them, it's very hard to find, let's say, um, something to kind of grasp onto when it comes to saying that I'm invested in this company's success. Right. Yeah. As I mean, a sock, yeah, as a sock person internally, I can definitely see you saying, "Hey, what I put in here can ultimately show up in how the company grows, and that makes me want to hop on at two o'clock in the morning and do extra." I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, <I've, laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. I, I can't blame them. I can't hold them hold them for that, you know. But. There's a different about amount of excitement that happens when you're brand new to somewhere and you're fresh into the security. Yeah, very different. Yeah, yeah, trust me. You'll spend nights thinking about what you can do or, or or how you can help out even more. You're going to spend some nights up doing something. It fades over time, obviously. I mean, when I first got in, dog, it was like, oh, you want me to work 24 hours straight? No problem. I'll do 48. How about that? Yeah, exactly. I'll do 48. No spot bonus, no pay increase, didn't even get brought up in my review. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Oh, y'all forget when I did that? Oh, yeah. Y'all forget for- when I was in another state doing yeah. that for you? They forgot. Y'all just forgot? Yep. Hell yeah, they forgot. <laughs> Hell yeah, they forgot. Uh, they'll remember it, though, when you when you go on. Um, but yeah, they forget. Um, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's tough. Um, cause you're going to be asked to do a lot more. I mean, I can tell you as a SOC analyst in your first security position or your second 40 hours a week is going to be very difficult to be extremely yeah. successful. Yeah. 
just putting in 40 hours. Number one, you're catching up on all the information that you don't know. And that's just not in security. That's what your organization. How many assets do they have? Are you a 50,000 asset company, 100,000 asset company? How many domains do you have? Do you have multiple fours? Are there mergers and acquisitions? How many? How much software do you have? How many applications do you develop? Like a lot of that isn't information you're going to gather when you're actually performing your day-to-day activity, right? That You won't that, have the time. You won't have the time. So a lot of times you're going to actually learn about security and then the, the, the business model and the landscape of your organization through that extra time that you put in. And, and, you know, it helps because then you're, you're able to know that, well, if something happens over here, you know, it's segmented off or networked off or whatever. Right. And then that's when you can actually start taking that next step to that, that tier two, tier three sock where it gets more into threat hunting and things like that. Right. And red team stuff. Because now you know that the organization may be exposed via this path. And then you can say, hey, let's create some PowerShell scripts that go out and detect these things. Or let's put some stuff in the SIM so that we can detect these things. And that comes as you get more maturity. But it's a, yeah, you're going to have to put in a lot of time in that first sock position to just, you know, um, not have your head spinning around most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty valid. I think one skill set that is sometimes really overlooked in security in general, um, and especially for socks, uh, is is scripting. You know, you need to be able to script. You like it is so valuable in that in that specific position. I mean, an engineer, you can get away with not having a script because maybe you're focused on you know a single tool. And you're designing that tool and, you know, you're working with the vendor, you're interfacing more in that way, right? So maybe you're not scripting as much or there isn't a demand for it as much. But man, when you are trying to do like threat hunting, I mean, like I didn't, I didn't realize it, like how valuable PowerShell was until you showed me like, you know, what, what I could be doing with it and just writing a script to, you know, probe a device for a password file, you know, or a file with a certain name that, you know, someone may be storing their passwords in and stuff. I mean, I found hundreds of files across the environment where people are storing their passwords in like notepad. Like what? Notepad. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a skill set, though, that that like, I think is really important for SOC analysts. Like, uh, and, and there's a lot of free resources out there too. Code Academy is probably the best resource out there to learn coding and scripting. Like overall, I, I mean, I've, I, I learned with their free version of their product and now I have their pro version of their product where you like, they give you projects to do and stuff like that, which I think really ingrains, the skills that you're learning into you because, you know, they'll give you a project and you have to then utilize and and think through, you know, all these different things like, Oh, how do I want to define my function and what needs to go into it? Do I need to, you know, do this list like this? And, you know, I'm very basic with it. I mean, I'll admit like scripting isn't my strong suit at all, but 
you know, I can read it and understand what's going on with it. But for a SOC analyst, I mean, you got to be able to read it, write it, use it, optimize it, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I would say from going from like a level two to a level three, and that's, you know, obviously organizations are different. I would say a level three is the engineering level when you when you're now kind of becoming uh, self-sufficient. People aren't watching you all the time. Yeah. Um, they're kind of leaving you to your task and your duties. And you probably have a once a week cadence with your managers to kind of keep them up to date on where things are. That scripting and learning scripting saves you the absolute most time. It's probably going to be the most, um, uh, it's probably the best skill set to learn that's going to increase your value exponentially mm-hmm. going from a level two to a level three. I, I know people who are, you know, who've been in that level two, you know, desktop, that senior desktop engineer, you know, that range where it's just kind of like, well, yeah, you're not quite a senior to me if you can't script out what you do every day manually at a certain yeah. point. Because if you know that that's a 10-minute process, but you can script out something that's going to do it in two minutes, and you can go take a walk and get some air, well, damn it, do it, right? Because over the course of a year, you may be saving yourself hundreds of hours of actual activity because you're now automating. And that's a big thing, right? It's like, well, how do you get to automation? Well, you have to actually use, you know, code. You have to use scripts. You have to use things or orchestration in that perspective. And all of that is basically, you know, from a, you know, an algorithm or a set of code or scripts that kind of, you know, uh, perform the functions in a specific order. So I would say as early as you can, just start getting familiar with things like, and you know, what scripting languages are the ones, PowerShell, right? PowerShell. Especially if you're on the Microsoft side of the house. Oh, yeah. Um, And Python, right? Bash. Python's Um, huge. Yeah, Python. Um, Learn some Bash, right? Because you never know when you're going to come up against a Linux operating system and have to do, you know, uh, like, for instance, Logarithm. Our first first go at Logarithm, we were using Linux-based data processes and data indexers. So if there was a corrupted shard or something like that and you had to rebuild an index, or something, you had to do it with with um, um, Bash, and you had to do it with you know Linux commands. So, it, I mean, going from PowerShell and then having to do that, you don't want to be at a complete disadvantage. So, I would say, yeah, you know, some 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 Bash, um, and some Python, some PowerShell, and maybe get some JavaScript, you know, some HTML, basic yeah. stuff, right? But it just helps because sometimes you never know when an alert has you looking at a whole bunch of code or a whole bunch of statements from any of those particular, you know, coding languages or scripting right. languages. And it, man, if you can point, if you can point it out, <laughs> if you're the one that puts your index on that monitor, say, this is the problem. Oh yeah. You'll get a whole bunch of pats on the back from the people on your team. Yeah, I know. Um, I know scripting and coding has actually been something that holds people away from security. Um, and so I, I knew someone who was into networking, uh, he, he worked at a knock, um, and he wanted to get into security. And he said that after talking to me about it for like six months, he decided that there was just too much to learn, too much to do. Uh, and with scripting and coding on top of that, he was just like, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, 
well, you know, I kind of did my job. I felt because, you know, when someone's coming to me and trying to figure out if they should get into security, you know, I'm very honest with them. I tell them what it takes. I tell them what they need to, you know, get skilled up in and everything, what the security field is expecting of them. And it's a lot. I mean, it's an insane amount, but, and and I will try to overwhelm them. I will try to, you know, throw all of it at them because if I can convince you to not do it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like if anyone can convince you to not do it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. That's my opinion. Agreed. And you know what, what you got to remember though, is that it's a process. You're not going to learn Python, PowerShell, bash, HTML, Java, and all these different tools and everything else in one year. You're not going to learn it in two years, three years, or four years. It's going to, it's, a process. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning. You've been in the field for way longer than me and you're still learning. Yep. And we both have to brush up on our skills every single year. So like everything that I learned, you know, four years ago, I'm still making sure that I know that stuff inside and out. And I'm still making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm skilled enough in it to where like, if I'm asked a very detailed question about it, that I can answer it in a very detailed manner. The amount I've forgotten is amazing. It's more than I'll never know. <laughs> I've forgotten so much. Like, mind you, I, I mean, I got my CCMP, and it was all, I mean, I was doing EIGRP, BGP statements. I was setting mm-hmm. up um, um, encrypted, uh, you know, routing uh, neighbors. Um, and I have videos for that stuff. And I watch some of my old videos like, man, I don't remember none of that. It's because three, four years have passed, and you don't think about it at all. Now, can I obviously, you know, review and then come back up to speed with it a lot quicker than it was my first time? Well, yeah, right. I, I mean, I think that if I needed to get a CCMP now, starting over from where I am, which is, I would say, like, let's just say I didn't remember nothing. I think that it will come to me probably 60, 70 percent faster than it did the previous time because I kind of laid that. Yeah, I've already. Yeah, it's like working out. You like, laid the if, foundation. If you ever was in tremendous shape and then you fell out of shape and then you start working out again, well, once you get in the groove, man, you're like, oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like your muscles remember it, too. It's like your muscles. It's like, uh, you know, something that like I always kind of experience. And I mean, I'm an idiot, so this is all probably just in my head. But, you know, like when I'm working out and I haven't worked out for a while, it's like my muscles remember me lifting that heavier weight, that significantly heavier weight. But and, and it like confuses my mind because we can't do it. But my muscles are like, man, like we sh- we should be doing more than this. And yeah, like it's that fight, you know? Yep. Yeah. A lot of t- and I hear like a lot of times that shaking that takes place. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't have the same neuron pathways from your muscles to your to your to your to your brain. And that can kind of cause that trembling, right? So if you were doing bench and you just start shaking, if you actually were able to handle that weight before, but a lot of the time it's not because you became that much stronger. Because, mm-hmm. you know, say you ever got up to 225 on a bench, right? And But you came from 185. Well, that might be a, uh, I would say a four to seven week process, right? Of just a- adding two and a half, yeah. five pounds a week. But- for the most part, people aren't putting on massive amounts of muscle in one and a half months. So what is it, right? 
And a lot of it is actual just, you know, just physiology. And it's not Getting just that muscle fiber engaged and whatnot. You know? Exactly. And then and, and having your mind understand that, well, this is the kind of weight we're doing, baby. So, you know, you better step up. And those first couple of times, you know, you, you know, you'll, you'll see that actually transpire over that four to six week window. But same thing for, you know, um, you know, IT and anything we, we forget. Um, I mean, a DNS issue came up the other day and they're having issues with DNS. And I'm like. Man, the last time I had to deal with DNS issues was at least two, three years ago. But it came right back after a while, right? I'm like, man, this is, I think these are stale, uh, you know, DNS uh, resolver caches. I don't think so. I'm like, I think it is. is. Um, But yeah, you know, you're going to have um, to learn. And if you don't want to learn it, then this is not the right career for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, right? It's too much to learn. No, it's not too much to learn. This is a career. This is going to be something that you could do probably until the day you die Um, or, you you know, hopefully you retire and have, you know, many years to, you know, sit back and do what you want in life. But, you know, as a as a as a career, you know, you can do this 20, 30, 40 years. So there's going to be a lot to learn. And if you're not excited about the fact that you may be able to potentially take care of your family, fund your hobbies, fund your retirement, do a lot of those things with a skill set that's going to always be in demand more than likely, then, hey, I, hey, eh, go find something else, you know? You know, I, I think something that we don't talk about enough in the industry, and I, I have to remind my, my students of it, you know, I do some side teaching and whatnot uh, for different universities, and um, I have to remind them all the time that there's going to be so many times in your career and especially in the beginning, it's going to be a lot more in the beginning where you don't know what the hell is going on. I mean, you don't know nothing and you feel like you're the only one that doesn't know what's going on. You, you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell someone what you learned yesterday. You couldn't tell someone what you learned a month ago. You don't know what you studied a month ago. Like you just don't understand it. You don't understand A to Z, right? And then someday it just clicks. Like you want you hear something or you're reading something that, you know, is still still like more advanced down your path. Like you're not reading the same stuff every single day. Like you're kind of changing it up and building upon the material, right? And someday, like it's it's just gonna click and you're gonna you're gonna like feel that one thing, like you understand that one thing. And then it's all going to just like, Oh, you know what? That's why these applications are deployed on this Linux server in this place. That's why I see these services and processes running like that because, you know, this database doesn't clean out its cache properly or whatever. Right. Like, I mean, there was, there there was countless times when this happened to me in the beginning and I felt like I was the dumbest person in the world because I was reading the security plus. And I mean, I just went through that entire book and didn't understand a damn thing. Like nothing. And I was like, man, like, like I'm dumb. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm dumb, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I, when I, when I, when I first, officially became an architect like and this happens you know it, it happens often when you get into a new position but i yeah, immediately sure. i was scared as hell 
I was like, oh, crap. I'm an architect now. I don't I know what. I can't even the, spell architect. I, I don't oh. even know what the hell I'm supposed to be. And and that's crazy, right? Because the thing is, is that you kind of know, you have an idea of what you want to be as an architect, but you actually don't know how to deliver value as an architect. And so when you're given the title, and even though you've been prepping for it, you've been ready for it, people will know that you're going to be able to rise up to it. There's going to be a gap where it's like five, six, seven months where you're just figuring out, well, what the hell does it really mean to be an architect? Because, well, you know, I'm hearing that the, you know, the IT team is having an issue with, you know, connecting the server to another server and they want to bring me in because they got a question about a port. I'm like, is that an architect issue? Like, I don't know. Is that an architect issue? Like, you want to know if you can use a specific port? Like, hmm. Yeah, I don't what are we know. About right now? So, but yeah, you have to. And, but you have to figure out, right? What, well, what am I actually supposed to be doing? Am I mm-hmm. just supposed to be telling them that you need to be using SSH and not using, you know, FTP? Or is it are you supposed to be, you know, actually helping the organization figure out how to standardize in their solutioning and putting in toll gates and asking the specific questions at specific times? And when you're learning all of this, it's so much information that you don't really have a plan. You have the knowledge or you have the information, but you don't have a plan. And it takes some time to figure out, well, well, how can I be a good architect? Because, you know, they say the imposter syndrome. You start feeling like an imposter. You, you're like, well, damn, I've made it here, but I don't know how to deliver on what an mm-hmm. architect should be, especially if there's not a senior architect there that can kind of say, oh, no, we don't do that. <laughs> we do this. Right. And so I had to learn from a lot of different books, a lot of different, you know, research. Um, Fortunately, I was able to go down to um, Security Congress for ISE Squared and validate a lot of the concepts I had been theorizing myself with the security architecture group that was there. And it and it was it was like, okay, I'm good. I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. Okay, I'm not doing a disservice to this position. And then from there, you can actually ramp it up and you say, well, here's the way that we want to do it. And thank God, you know, TOGAF has what they will have, what they have and SAPSA have what they have. And, and there's a lot of different security architecture frameworks out there. Um, and I studied them all. And I was just trying to figure out, OK, well, my organization asked me to get involved. What should I be telling them? It's a consequence of getting me involved. Right. Because I just don't want to get pulled in and have to say, hey, all right, X, Y, Z game over. I need to actually help guide them into a way of behaving or operating that's going to be conducive because if I'm not here, it shouldn't go back to the ad hoc way it was before. You have to establish a standard and a framework. And that's what I did as a security architect. I tried to establish standards and frameworks for how we will go about assessing a potential solution and what information we would get from the business so that we knew that well, you know, here's your legal requirements. Here's your, you know, your your timing requirements. Here's your uh, data sets. Uh, here's uh, the people you want to interface with. I need all that information up front. And but I was scared, always scared, like entering a new position and it's a big change. Yeah, and, but it should drive you right. It should make you say, I need to get get my study in and make sure I'm refined um, in my processes because. I don't want to feel like an imposter when I've been working hard to get to a place. Right. I want to feel that I'm alone and you got to put in your work. Yeah. So a lot of the times with the SOC analyst positions and roles, um, 
you know, they're they're typically looking for people with uh, skill sets, you know, with specific tools. So how do you kind of get around that when breaking into that that career line? Right. So like there's there's different. So I go about it two different ways. Um, I look at all the, you know, the top of the line tools and see if there's a free version of it or a trial version of it. And I get my hands on it if there is. And I try and I try and just learn it, you know, on the side. And and in the interview, I'll bring that up, too. I won't put that on my resume necessarily, um, but I'll bring it up like, hey, you know, I, I know you guys are using this technology from the job description. I went out of my way. I, I got my hands on the admin guide. I read through that thing. It was like 400 pages, you know, and take notes while you're doing it. So you understand it a little bit more. You can remember it. And, you know, I, I, I go about it that way. And then I also go about it and I try to think of it from a, like an analytical point of view, like, okay, so what is this log collector doing when it, it gets these logs and it sends it somewhere else? Like I try to like break it down in my head. Uh, and I'll give you a good example. You know, I had a vendor that had their own proprietary, quote unquote, scanning tool uh, that pulled assets into their solution. And, uh, you know, we were having a lot of different issues with it. Right. And I mean, no one outside of this tool has any experience with this scanning technology. It's proprietary to them. Um and, you know, the way that like we were troubleshooting it, I was in the logs and I was seeing what we were getting back from the assets, just the type of information. And I talked to their architect. I just turned to their architect and I was like, hey, are you guys doing this Nmap scan with like these specific op- operators on it and, you know, taking that information and then doing th- these other manipulations with it? And he's like, yeah, that's actually exactly what it's doing. He's like, how did you figure that out? I was like, I looked at the logs and saw what I was getting back from the assets. And I just know what kind of command and what kind of solutions do that, right? Like, like a lot of these tools, you know, they're taking things like Nmap, which is a, you know, open source solution that scans networks and assets, right? They're just taking that and adding their own, operators and flavors onto it right like but it's the same sort of foundational knowledge right so if i know how nmap works and i know what i'm going to get from nmap well then i kind of know what nessus is doing necessarily or qualis or you know some of these other rapid seven maybe you know like i i have a good starting point and that's the point you know if you can convey that to the hiring manager like like yeah you know guess what I haven't used Nessus, you know, the the professional license. Yeah, it costs like $1,500 a pop and I'm not spending that money. I make 50K a year right now, you know, but I got the free version of it and I scan my network and I see the results that I'm coming in and I patch based on that in my own network, in my own lab, you know, because Nessus does have a free version. And, you know, well, guess what? Like Qualys and Rapid7, they're not very different from each other in terms of like, the underlying technology sometimes that's actually doing those scans. And so you can understand like, Oh, when I hit scan on this, it's going to tax the system in this way. And so maybe that's best to do it after hours, you know? 
you got to abstract it out and keep that in mind when you're when you're interviewing. I, I think that that's really helpful because if you can provide that abstraction, um, it shows me that you're you know very eager to learn that you're really putting your effort forth to to do this stuff and to get into it, and you'll be rewarded for it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, there's a site you can. I, I need to remember the name of it, and we'll put it in the the links at the end. But you can do a search on like the top 100 open source security tools, and it'll take you to a site that have have things like Nmap and Wireshark and Burp Suite and all that. And so there'll be pay versions sometimes of specific software, but that's feature-based, right? It's about enabling features or new reports or support. Right. right. But like Joe is saying, is that you need to lab. You need to lab. If you're going to get into IT, there's no reason why you shouldn't have spun up, I don't know the number, 50, 60, 70 different servers um, before you even had your first opportunity, right? Um, right. You know, you need to image uh, a operating system. You know, back when I was getting started, it was imaging XP. Um, Man. Yeah, and it was actually a long time ago. Hey, it was actually Windows 2000 and all that stuff too. Um, I had Windows NT, but <laughs> I wasn't really into computers like that until Windows XP really came around. So, like, like I said, for me, it was 1999, 2000 when I got into it. But yeah, um, go to those sites, um, spin up some machines, spin up some uh, virtual machines, some servers, uh, uh, Windows Core, right, where it doesn't even have a GUI, right? Uh, spin it up with PowerShell commands and parameters that automatically kind of, you know, provision out the machines in a specific, you know, configuration in terms of cores right. and processes and storage. Do all of that. Wireshark. Like, look at your convergence when you're doing networking and you're learning routing and switching, and you want to make sure that STP is converging and all that. Well, look at those packets and see what they look like when you're doing specific things, or when you're attacking a um, a, um, a honeypot, right? So, you know, if you're going to be on the SOC and you want to understand how uh, threats may look inside your organization when somebody's attacking you, well, set up that honeypot and then attack it. And then capture those packets and see that these flags were, you know, changed. See that this is going to come in this way and it's going to look like this. And then that way you could put it in alert. But, yeah, I definitely agree. The hackers playbooks, right? They'll, they'll oh, tell yeah. you about a whole bunch of different tools to go ahead and, and download and install. And they're all open source um, that you can go ahead and install to get your, you know, your, your, your or you get Medi, Medisploit. Um, Medisploit. They take you from zero to, yes. like pretty advanced. I mean, they, they quite literally take you from zero to pretty advanced. Yep. Like they tell you, you know, this is what, how you need to set it up. This is what you should be doing. You know, everything like that. If you just follow it step by step, like I went through hackers playbook two and three and I went step by step page by page and I, I didn't run into any issues. It was, it was a great resource, man. That's how I really got started with like learning the more yeah. advanced stuff, like hands-on stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, sys internal books, um, written by, um, you know, the Microsoft guys, um, sys internals, um, you know, is a pretty powerful set of tools that you can use, uh, for windows to get visibility into your, 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 your registry, uh, and, and your processes, uh, explore all of that. 
And then, you know, there's malware, forensics field guide for Windows systems. You got uh, the basic security testing with uh, Linux, uh, Kali Linux. There's a lot of books out there, right? Uh, incident response, uh, where you can actually get that hacker, hacker's playbook, spin yourself up a system and actually just attack it and do all these things. Yeah. But then make sure you have the logging turned on so that you can go in and see how that low, how that shows up. Because what the tools, what the, what the four, the tools that you pay for in terms of your organization is mostly about the support. Um, but they're using the same mechanisms that Joe was talking about, right? They're using, you know, same some of the same open source functionality with just customized flags or a different metadata structure or a different formatting of the logs for ingestion. But you can get a lot of good information from there. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend that. Uh, I mean, yeah. You it's have- a really good resource. It really is. Yes. That blue team book as well. Yep. Yep, the field manuals, uh, the blue yep. team books. Uh, there's 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 so many out there, uh, yep. and 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 I think that again, it's just up to the the individual. Because if I need a sock analyst, and and mind you, we can talk about it a little bit or really quickly. It looks like they're saying that you know sock analysts uh, nationwide, you know, the starting salary or the average salary is between like sixty five and seventy four thousand a year. So that's where you're going to probably end up. Um, sometimes you can get more, um, especially if you have more experience or the area you're in, et cetera. Right. But that's just a a working range, right? So have that in your head. That's pretty good salary. Um Compared to people not in IT and some of the, the money, I mean, as a sock analyst hitting that ground at that first level and being able to make sixty eight, seventy five thousand dollars, and a lot of times you're you're young and you're, you don't have any commitments. Maybe you're still living with your parents. You can use some of those, uh, or you can purchase some of the things that you need to do, whether it's a virtual machine um, uh, environment in Azure or AWS. Um, just to, you know, give yourself 10, 10 to 20 hours a month of just labbing that you can do. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a big differentiating factor is kind of where we start in security salary wise compared to other, other roles. I mean, even in it, yeah. like I, I know people in, in other careers like marketing and stuff like that. And, you know, when I tell them that like, yeah, like we, we typically start at like, you know, 75 and that's like kind of on the low end uh-huh. of, of where you start in security. They're like, what? I've been doing this for 10 years yes, and I'm making 80. It's like, oh, I mean, that's, that's your career path. That's, that's what you guys did. But I mean, there, it's never too late to just stop you know, and build up a new skill set and go into a new career. It's never too late in my head, at least, you know. But, you know, again, if if you're getting into it for the money, um, the money is is nice for the first, you know, four months. But, uh, I mean, after that, man. It doesn't scale it with hits. your performance. It, yeah, it kind of. So, I mean, I, I would say that it doesn't scale for sure. And two, I mean, the stress, like 
if you don't enjoy it, like you actually have to enjoy it, you know, because the stress is insane. And when you get paid more, the stress is like compounded because more people are expecting more from you because you're making more than, you know, exposition or whatever. And yeah, it's, I mean, it gets stressful. So if you don't, if you don't love it, if you don't enjoy it, just don't get into it. But if you, you know what, if you do enjoy it, if you do love it, man, security, like you can make a lot of money in security. Yeah. Yeah. No, I start from nothing. I started with 45 K. I yeah. didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was just, I mean, I think help desk back around, it was like, you know, getting like 10 bucks, 12 bucks an hour to start on help yeah. desk, right? Yeah, that was, right. that was like, hey, you, that's a good start. Um, and, you know, if, if once you're making around 30K, 35K, you know, as a help desk level one, then it was all about, okay, well, what does help desk level two do? Okay, okay, I'm an escalator. I mean, I'm the person that they escalate to. Okay, great. Some places have a, a help desk level three, right? And and they're in a in a low or the you know mid forties, uh, upper forties. Uh, making fifty k on a help desk was not that common. Um, when, when you you, you either, lead, yeah, yeah, you were lead, right? And and you starting to talk system administrator money. And my first position as a network engineer, that's my title. It was it was fifty two thousand dollars a year. <sighs> Um, so there were, I I could have went and became a help desk level three somewhere and, and not been on the ground, you know, running cables back to this, uh, you know, patch room and doing all the, you know, that was fun. Uh, but yeah, it's different, different, um, you know, different specialties make a little bit more, um, or a little bit less. So look that up. But yeah, like Joe said, if, if you are, passionate about security, if you love to do it, then the sky's the limit. So at that point, it's just getting a plan and working it and just staying hungry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that we really nailed this topic. Uh, So before we close, you know, just want to give you guys an update. So before we were doing two podcasts a week, we do one on Wednesday and one on Saturday. Uh, But our schedules got a little bit crazy and really what we want to do is dial in the quality. So we, we want to provide you guys higher quality podcasts before we, you know, start ramping up production, right? So we don't, we don't want to drop in production or quality. We don't want to drop in quality uh, and sacrifice that for more episodes, right? Like that's not, that's not a good idea. It's not what we want. You know, we're here to give you guys the best possible quality content because you're not going to get it anywhere else. You just simply won't. Um, and so we're we're moving from two times a week to just recording on Saturday. And we post it typically on Saturday or Sunday, you know, uh, like we typically do. And eventually, you know, when our schedules die down a little bit, when we have our, you know, uh, I don't want to call it production schedule, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like, you know, for the YouTube guys, we have to throw our video into Adobe and make some adjustments to it, you know, like, and that takes time and we're not video editors. We're security people. Like I installed Adobe for the first time a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so we're, we're figuring it out, you know, so you can expect from us right now, one day a week, 
where we're going to be posting the podcast. We're going to be bringing on more guests. We have more guests lined up. We're going to be going on podcasts. So stay tuned to all of our blogs. We post on LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. We love that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that's coming up. I mean, you guys don't know about the guest speaker that we're going to be having on pretty soon. And you guys don't know the podcast that we're about to be going on. I mean, that's some pretty exciting stuff that you guys will be finding out in the future here. Uh, and we want to just give you guys the best best possible content quality that, that we can. And so we're going to one day a week for now. Yeah. Did I nail that or what? Yeah. yeah, pretty good, right? And I think that, again, everybody is going to be able to benefit because we'll up the quality and we'll make it that we can, you know, put things out there and, uh, you know, uh, shorter formats, uh, different formats. Maybe we have highlights. Maybe we have compilations. Hell, maybe we have a blooper reel, right? I don't know. I mean, hell, blooper whatever you reel. got, maybe whatever you guys want. <laughs> the, the heat. Right. Maybe we do that uh, that post that post podcast where it's, you know, it's really uh, we turn the heat up and we really get yeah. into it. So we start. Yeah, Th- that'll be a different story. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uncensored for real. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for staying along with us for this long. You know, your your support. I say it every episode. Your support is growing. Uh, you guys are crazy. Some of you guys have been, you know, donating to us or tipping us, you know, and just so everyone knows, whenever we get anything from you guys, a tip, whatever, it's going straight into us, you know, getting better quality, right? We're not taking that and going and buying a new TV or something, right? Like we're taking that. It's like, oh, I can upgrade my mic. So I can provide better quality to you guys. Right. And so, you know, we really appreciate it. That support is something that we, I mean, we didn't expect that at all. Um, And we still don't. So, you know, thank you guys. That is all that we have for today. Hope you guys really enjoyed it. Please stick around and stay posted on our blogs and, uh, you know, all the updates that we have coming. Thanks, guys. See you.